Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I am Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we are here with a Spy Master interview. And boy, do we have a treat for you this time. Yes, we are talking to Gloria Hendry, who of course played Rosie Carver in 1973's Live and Let Die, and is also the author of the new autobiography, Gloria Hendry, 007 Bond, Bunny, Black Renaissance, IFM. So we're going to go in the portal back to 1973 when you were young and your heart was an open book. So Cam, without further ado, roll that interview. And joining us now on the show, actor, musician, producer, star of James Bond Live and Let Die is Miss Gloria Hendry. Hello, Gloria. How are you? Fine. How are you, Scott? I, I am loving life, but even better for seeing you. Well, same here, back at you. You know, it's great to be seen. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't need to see me particularly, but we all like seeing you, so it, it, it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we're here today because you've just released a book, Gloria Hendry, 007 Bond, Bunny, Black Renaissance, IFM. And just to start off the interview, I would love to know, you know, what kind of kicked you into wanting to write this book? There it oh, is. Mm. Yes. Uh, but the this is my sample. But the actual color, that is the picture on the cover. It's, it's in color. Yes. Mm. What made me want to write the book? I said to myself, well, you know, I've been through the period of um, the Black Renaissance, which is some people call it the Black um, Exploitation. And it's the Black Renaissance. And I've been through the period of the bunny time at the Playboy Club, which was also land, a landmark. And I've been through um, the landmark of modeling. Uh, was it what only a handful of us in the 60s were modeling? And being the first of this and the first of that. And I said, you know, and then Bond on top of that. And I said, I'm going to write my book because somebody else might walk in and write my book and not tell my story from my point of view. So that was the reason why I, I wrote it. One of the really interesting things I thought was how you had the timeline of historical events that happened over the course of, you know, your years of doing Bond and, as you said, the Black Renaissance films and everything like that. At what point did it kind of occur to you to kind of frame your own story within all of the major events that were going on in history? Right. You like that, did yeah. you? No. Oh, that was great. Yes. Just to show the period, because I couldn't possibly write all of that. I, I, I pointed that out what year each one of them in the center of the book uh, for, for people to reflect and said, oh, this was going on at that period of time, which probably prompted this to happen because things are, you know, front and back of each other, the yin and the yang. Yes, that's what prompted me to do that because it was so much going on that, that put me in a certain state when I left the NAACP and why I left it when Martin Luther King was killed. There right. we are. And then what happened out of that situation and how I wound up at Playboy and the money that we were getting paid and the female, the women birth control wasn't around until in the 60s. And women weren't really working or allowed to become attorneys or any or doctors and lawyers. If anything, you were a housewife. And when you went to college, you seeked out a husband. <laughs> You know, and, and that's the way it was. And you were always the, the, the woman at home, you know, raising the children. So I wanted to point out 
the flavoring of the period so you would understand when you reflect, you go, oh, this was going on. I couldn't put all that detail in there. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting and, and sort of bouncing off what you and Cam just said, you're, you're contextualizing what's going on in history when you're making these decisions in your own career. And one thing I was just sort of curious about when you're putting the book together, did you stumble upon any of these major events and realize, oh, this happened at the same time? That must have been why I made that decision as opposed to sort of backtracking it the other way. Were you surprised by things you found? Well, when I wanted to backtrack, well, that's when I started writing the book. It hit me. I said, you know, what What made me want to make these decisions? Because, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I think the future is the future. And things happen because of things. All of a sudden, you're not working anymore. What does that prompt you to do? You go out and hunt and try to get, be in the same field, but you might wind up in another field because you really needed the money. You might wind up being a dishwasher because you needed the money. Or you might wind up doing all kinds of things because you needed to take care of yourself or filing bankruptcy, et cetera. What prompts you out of that? Well, you just ruined your credit. <laughs> you just ruined your credit. So what do you have to do? You might wind up getting married because of that reason. We have all kinds of reasons why we do get married or all kinds of reasons why we do live together or the all kinds of reasons why you don't go home or do you go home? <laughs> and looking at sort of i was looking at sort of your careers leading into becoming an actor uh you, know, you mentioned playboy bunny you worked in the uh the new york office of the nacp but before all that happened had you ever considered doing acting or was it just something that came along at that time not at all and yes i was thank you i mean yes you're the first to ask me that question and even the prior question you're the first to ask me that question about why i wrote the book i meant to say the period when you pointed out the period well what happened basically was that people would walk up to me when i was living in newark new jersey sadie renee uh she made hats she said would you model my hats for me i wasn't a model and um but i guess it was the way i carried myself i'm very athletic so I'm very aware of my body. I would ride bikes maybe um, for a couple number of hours and hit the pool for a number of hours and jump back on my bike and go back home for a number of hours it took me. So I might be out all day on my bike and swimming and, and running and, and jumping and playing basketball, softball. I'm a natural athlete. So I'm a, I'm a swimmer, a, te a tennis player, a skier, a horseback rider. I did English, jumping, a ballet dancer, a uh, singer, um, golly, I always tell you something like that. Oh yeah, weightlifter, martial arts. I do a lot of things, <laughs> and just because I do them. <laughs> so back again to say, um, Sadie Benet introduced me to modeling her hats, and she made her stuff. And in school, I learned how to make my own clothes too from the from the school I attended. And also, I'm a, I did gymnastics throughout my grade school, grade elementary school, and was very good. Um, so with that, people would ask me, could you do my movie? And um, all of a sudden, a non, well, there's a non-union film like Silver Lady. I did that. So, I, and also modeling, I meant to say commercials. Um, and when I started slowing into commercials, um, uh, I started taking acting classes. I know nothing about acting. So I started to study with Warren Robertson. But in the meantime, when I was a legal secretary, there was no way I had the money <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So out of being a legal secretary for $175 a week, <laughs> 
And I left that and went and started working for an account executive at an advertising firm that looked at me for the period to become an account account executive secretary in the advertising business. I was there about a year and he was at the Playboy Club, attending the Playboy Club and I was on Madison Avenue. And I looked in the paper one day and I saw this ad for Playboy. Girls making $1,000 to $2,000 a week. I went, what? <laughs> and um, of course, I'm very shy, especially during that time. And being in the nude or, you know, because we have to be in a nude in a locker room and all of that. Now, how did that all happen? I, um, I went and I said, you know what? My boss was supposed to raise my salary after a year. He did not. But he would go to the Playboy all the time, right? So I said, I'm going to become a bunny. He said, really? <laughs> and he <laughs> laughed. So I sent over my my picture because I had a picture because I was modeling periodically. Sure. And I sent it over there to them. And they said they like to see me. I came in there. Girl, they hired me immediately. I said, I can't. I have to give them two weeks notice. And they said, I like you. Well, when two weeks I was there, it was a shocker. Absolute shocker with the skimpy costume on and and the um, uh, the costume designer had to put a hands between my legs to put up the crouch, the crouch. Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. Get your, she said, girl, please stand still. She slapped me on my butt. She said, stand still. I'm not trying to do anything to you. Stand still. I was like, <laughs> I was nervous as hell. She put her hands between my legs. <laughs> Just blew my mind. Anyway, make a long story short, I gave her my name and she said, that, 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 we don't need your real name. All the girls have a, a pseudonym. And I said, what's that? She said, Girl, I'll call you Hazel. I said, okay. And she started laughing. <laughs> so I went around the club being called Hazel for around about a year. Uh, cigarette, cigarette bunny saying cigars, cigarettes, tipperillos. Here's the Playboy call, a, a month. Oh, okay. <laughs> From the 60s. Wow. The 60s. And, um, and so cigars, cigarettes, tipperillos, Playboy lighters. And here I am with my bunny costume. If I can show you that, can you see that? Oh, yeah. 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 There it is. Right. This is a book written by Catherine Lee Scott. Um, she was a bunny. Oh, yeah. You saw that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm in that book called Bunny Years. And some of these wonderful ladies today are doctors, lawyers, um, accountants. Um, any uh, the uh, one of the ladies started the shopping malls from the Playboy, and also um, teaching various languages. Another uh, bunny, she speaks six languages from going to college because the Playboy allowed you that money to educate yourself. Uh, so it lifted you out of poverty. That's for sure. Absolutely, I was lifted out of poverty. I was able to move away from home and come into New York, and have my own apartment. And I said, "Well, I'm getting, I'm going out for commercials and all that stuff, and etc." But by be, and I, I started studying because I could afford it. Mm -hmm. And I went to dance classes. I had, I had vocal classes, etc. It was wonderful, believe me. So out of that, being a bunny, turned around that one day, and I was always proposition. How would you do? Like to take some test shots with me. Or um, would you like to be in my movie? And I said, look, talk to the bunny mother. Hmm. <laughs> we had a bunny mother that oversaw us all. And um, this particular time, they did. And they hired me uh, for Sidney Poitier and Abby Lincoln in For Love of Ivy. That was my first union movie in 68. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
And of course, they, they allowed me the time to film it. <laughs> well, I, I need to I need to complete the story because there's, there's a bit missing there. You talk about the boss not giving you the raise and you ended up at you know working at the Playboy Club. But the boss was going to the Playboy Club. That's did he right. ever see you? Did he ever see you at the club and did he lose his mind? You know what? I don't ever recall seeing him because I think when he did see me, he bell faced. I didn't know what <laughs> I really don't ever recall seeing him in the club. And since you brought that up, I never thought about it. I never saw him. But I did see my gymnastic teacher from, from elementary school. He came in one day, Mr. Dero Goddess. He walked in. He was a young man when I was, what, seven, eight, ten or something like that. And he mm. was probably 20-something. Well, well, of course, those are years later in the 60s. And here he is walking. I saw him on the elevator, and he saw me in my costume. Gloria! I said, oh, Mr. Dero Goddess. It was the most exhilarating to see a, a elementary school teacher <laughs> at the way we it was fabulous. <laughs> it's one of those situations where, like, someone shouldn't exist in that place. Like, it doesn't mm. make sense. They're in the wrong context. Yeah, absolutely. Right, yes, but at the same time, the club dictator and the Americans, uh, American Express card, carte blanche, mm. diner club card. I mean, that's when the beginning of uh, credit cards. And the, the masses, nobody had those cards back in those days unless you work for a company. Most people work for a company and they were professionals with a professional position. Right. If I'm making sense. No, no, that makes sense. And one thing I think is really interesting about you and reading about you in the book is that you had such a diverse number of interests. As you said, like you did all these different sports. And it seems to me like that has really helped you navigate the course of your career, jumping to different things, whereas someone who's more tunnel visioned might have gotten stuck. I'm just really curious from you, like how much of that has aided in just your survival in the entertainment business? Absolutely. And you know who told me that? My grandfather. My mm. grandfather told me only a fool has one egg in the basket, meaning you must know how to do many things, darling. So you can survive. When that dries up, you can do this. When that dries up, you can do that. So I'm a litigator from because I did go to Essex College of Business for Law and uh, because my counselor told me I couldn't be a, an attorney, he said, you could be a legal secretary. And um, I didn't question it. I mean, he's my senior and I was taught um, people who are older than you, you give them respect, mister. And as a child, and I kept that for years. Matter of fact, even when I worked in New York for years until I came out to California. Right. Everybody was calling everybody by their first name. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I had to get used to that. <laughs> so there we are. I'm still here. I'm calling people by their first names. I don't care if they're a judge or whatever. <laughs> because it's normal. It, it served me pretty well. And I'm British. We're very stuck up about these sorts of things. But I, yeah. I just do first names too. Exactly. Well, do you now or you use their last name? I, I, I usually use first names, unless I'm telling you off, and then I'll use your last name. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to work. Um, <laughs> you, you have to go there. In other words, you might say other things if you don't. <laughs> Precisely. I keep myself on track that way. Keeps you on the level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of, before we guide into talking about James Bond, 
I want to talk about your careers leading, your sort of your jobs in acting leading up to it. You mentioned uh, For Love of Ivy, Sydney Poitier, but you've done about four or five films, Godfather of Harlem, Across 110th Street, leading up to it. And Cam was remarking about sort of these different uh, interests you were doing. But one thing that stood out to me from reading the book is that you run into these challenges headlong. You just jump into a challenge. And you mentioned about going to acting classes, but how did it feel making that transition into being an actor? Did you feel the pressure? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, you want to hear this? I had to have a psychologist. I had, mm. I had to have a psychologist. I was in therapy for a good 10 years. And every now and then I go back in because I touched areas in myself as an artist that I had subdued because of my background. The things that had happened as a child coming through really angered me quite a bit. So it was not easy for me to reveal my feelings and to be free enough uh, to, to say it. Well, now I'm too free. <laughs> <laughs> the muzzle is really off now. <laughs> I'm in your, I'm, I was always in your face, but I'm really in your face now. <laughs> so, uh, so with that, I have to temper myself. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I tell you, life is a, Life is a definite adventure, but everything that I jump into, I jump into it full force. I get the, I, I do my research as I go, because you can study, you can, like, 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 uh, here's the instructions, how to put something together. By the time you start putting it together, you better be, <laughs> you better be into that and check it out as you go, because you can forget all the nuances that needs to be done. I mean, the game changes from the classroom into actuality mm -hmm. and that's how i stand i jump into it and i learn as i go like i'm doing now i've executive produced my cd executive produced my video executive produced um my video my my book you know so i've had to pull in an attorney i thought i knew what i was doing <laughs> but all these venues and i did them all at one time so it's been um it's been, um, uh, there are times I want to throw a blanket over my head and get underneath the sheets because it's so overwhelming, so many things to know and so many things to do. It, you, you strike me, and this might be a British idiom, so if it doesn't translate across the Atlantic, I'm sorry, but uh, swan-like, we would call it. So you're, you're very elegant and well-formed up top. You hold yourself well, but underneath you're furiously paddling. Oh, furiously. Yeah, you exactly. Right. You're working overtime. Uh, so you, I would say very swan-like. Um, well, thanks for the compliment. I'll take it. It, it is. It's a compliment here, at least. I hope it lands for some people. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about 007. Now, I will preface that there is a, a lot of these stories in the book, and I'm sure we'll leave some for the listeners to go and pick up a book and, and read. But just talking about 007, were you aware of, of James Bond as a phenomena before Live and Let Die even appeared on your radar? You know, I love what you're saying, but at the same time, this was the eighth Bond film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was nowhere near what it is in, in recognition as it is today. True. So what, what it has taken on today is just phenomenal. I'm sure the family of uh, Broccoli and um, Salzman are just surprised 
They've gone through so many nooks and crannies and crashes and et cetera on their way to being the, what, the 25th or it's in the 20s of their filming. So during that period of time, I'm coming out of a, a very ethnic community and not well off at all. A lot, and I'm not putting it down because of there are a lot of reasons why we as a people were cattle, you know, were, were corralled with not being able to really survive, to be very honest with you. If I didn't have those wonderful stores uh, by Jewish people who had a meat market, a meat, meat store, a vegetable store, um, a drug store, and he allowed us to have a, have a, a running tab when we walk in. And we pay at the end of the month. And if we didn't have enough money, um, we would just have a running, you know, a running tab. And that's how it went down in my community. I never went to the store with money because my mother didn't have it. And she worked two jobs. On the weekend, she was a housekeeper. And during the week, she worked as a factory uh, worker in American Aluminum and another place before that, but factory-wise. And my mother... Um, did not have a high, a great school education. She never graduated the eighth grade. So, um, with that in mind, and um, and my community, you know, information-wise, lacked a lot of information. You can be, you can, you can really survive when you have information. Doesn't matter what level you are, but it also you can have a lot of money, and it and on that level, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to have your money. So information I learned is very important. And again, the more you know, the more you, the more you know, the easier it is to travel and you know where to get it. So the law business helped me out a lot. I know I'm jumping all over the place. And the question that you did ask me to come back to was, um, no, I had never seen a Bond movie. And, but I had heard about it. And um, uh, uh, my, my manager said they wanted to see you. And that was Lloyd Comar at that time. And I went, why? I'm not tall. I'm not boxy. I'm not blue-eyed. I mean, why? And I was in California because I was told to go to California because the marketplace is wide open right now for us. So he said, Gloria, they want to see you. And I said, I have to fly back on my own dime? He said, yes. I literally had to fly back. And most of the things I never get. I can go off mm -hmm. for 99 things and then one thing I'll get. So here I am spending my money, but luckily I still have my New York apartment. So I flew back and I went to see Harry Salzman. And as I walked in, good looking man with this white hair and dark eyes stood up and just pointed toward my chair to sit down. He was such a gentleman. And I sat down and he said, how was your flight? And I said, great. He said, how soon can you get ready to go to New Orleans? I mean, hardly in a conversation. And of course, one thing about being an actor, you say yes to everything, mm -hmm. except if they ask you a certain thing that you definitely don't do. So I said, yes. And he said, we'll pick you up. Where can we pick you up? And we'll fly you down to New Orleans. Um, I said, okay. So I went back to my apartment and a limousine comes up. I'm going, oh my God. Well, being a bunny, limousines, I was accustomed to. I can't say I was not. Sure. I was accustomed to that because I would hang out at Jilly's, Joe Namath's spot, spot as well, and go to Four Seasons and dine and wine and et cetera. But back again, I landed in, um, of course, the a French Quarter. And, uh, and then uh, I, met, I met Guy Hamilton. 
And then I met um, Roger Moore and I was just, oh, the saint, okay? And I said, okay, Gloria, remember, this is just an audition. And just be careful if you know what I'm saying. Yep. Okay. So they, they, they took me to the set and I browsed around and et cetera. And he said, um, would you like to stay over? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Understood. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So, um, of course, I flew back to um, New York, to my apartment, and I took the set, the first thing smoking out of here. And I went back to California, the beautiful weather. And that was in what? That was in November. It was cold in New York. It was about New yeah, around November. And so well, a week later, my manager told me I got the film. Just like that. Wow. And he said, you got to get your passport. I had never been out of the country. Oh. So I had to get my passport. So was was the audition just the chat with Guy Hamilton and Roger Moore? Yeah. There was no scene reading or anything like that? None. Absolutely zilch. Interesting. And do you know what kind of got you onto their radar? I'm thinking that when I did Black Caesar, now backpedaling, when I yeah. hit when I hit California in uh, September and it was just to come check out the scenery and the agents, I had lined up an agent. And uh, this agent said, when he met me, he said, come with me. I'm going to take you over to this film that's put, uh, being shot right now with Larry Cohen. I didn't know who Larry Cohen was because I'm not into horror films. That's one. <laughs> so he took me over to his mansion on Coldwater Canyon, and they were shooting in there. And um, I saw uh, Fred Williamson, and I'm not a football player fanatic at all. So uh, then I saw Larry. And um, they both talked to me and they said, how do you feel about nudity? This was Black Caesar, which today is a Turner classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm fine. Uh, I would like the set to be private. And they said, fine. And that was it. And I got the film. I didn't even read a line for that. Now, whatever that means. And as we shot the film, I think someone from the crew, I think somebody of the crew Somebody had to say something to somebody because they were looking for um, the part that I played, Rosie Carver. But even to backtrack further, uh, Solitaire was black. And so Rosie Carver was white. Something happened on the set that they switched it. And the word was out that maybe Diana Ross or et cetera, somebody like that had the role. And they wanted to down, you know, and they said, hell no. <laughs> So right. they flew, um, Jane Seymour and I came in around the same time. So that was very unusual for Bond film to wait around to let, to, to cast last because they're pretty much on schedule. So that's how I got in and Tom Mankiewicz continued to apologize to me. And I'm wondering why. And he finally told me. And that was it. So I was on the Bond and I shot that Bond film for, I think about two and a half months or three months, something like that. And when I was in London, after we, I was doing the Pinewood Studios um, uh, interior, I got a call from uh, Slaughter's Big Ripoff, which was Jim Brown. And they asked me to do the movie. They didn't even, they had no, would you please do the movie? They offered it to me. Well, you're, you're, you're touching on something I was going to ask you about, actually, there, right yeah. there. Yeah. So you offered the film obviously you said yes it, it's a james bond film like most people would go yes i'll do that but was there any reservation in your head before you said yes because it, it's quite a big uh big 
production. Like it's a it's a big change for a career to do a Bond film. It, it can change trajectories quite easily. Um, did you ever have any reservations about taking the part? No. First of all, <laughs> I never thought about the film being so big because it was the eighth film at that time. Today, sure. today is enormous. I mean, if you look back, I go, wow. And also, uh, my personality is, yeah, really? Am I going to get anything out of this? Because the, because the industry has a tendency not to show us. I might be in it, but I might not ever be be um, mentioned anymore. Right. You know, so so therefore me with my hue, I I basically I make my strides how I make it. And um what it is is what it is. And I'm not gonna try to stop a train. I can't, but I'm gonna make my survival the best way I can. So I'm pretty satisfied with myself. I'm not looking for anybody to give me anything. So that's my attitude. So I'm on the set and I'm doing the best I can. But it wound up that my wonderful fans fell in love with me. And that's what happened. Now, there was another interior situation where when the film was showing that some communities like Africa, they were not South Africa, they would not show my scenes. And right. some places in the country, in the South, et cetera, those things were not shown. So I was basically cut out in various ways. So as the franchise, I believe, I would call it today, <laughs> I call it yeah. the franchise today. And uh, um, they had a hard time because they did want to, I believe, wanted to produce the movie the way it was. But the book, I think, was also Caucasian. I, I misspoke because I thought that the, the, the book had uh, Solitaire is Black, but it doesn't. And I'm a folk, you know, by say, hearsay, and I should never listen to hearsay. So I should do my homework, and I'm I'm backtracking and saying I apologize. So yes, and I think somebody wanted wanted the role to be switched to black and white, and then back to white and black. I have heard prominent cast members refer to that as well on Live and Let Die, saying that Solitaire should have been a black character. So it should have. It, yeah, it's definitely something that's said a lot. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. But they, you know, and it, but it, you know what? After a while, it was accepted. You know, yes, it was accepted. But along the way with my career, I wasn't spoke of for a good 10 years, somewhere in there. I think it was like somewhere in the, the 90s, the 80s, somewhere in there that I said, well, okay, you know. And then the fans, whatever that means, you know, and I'm really thankful at the same time. But the Bond film has made me um, well known, you know, on a certain level, but it hasn't given me the dollars. Sure. Yeah. And or the attention, whereas um, someone of my hue, even some of them, too, um, of not my hue, you know, there there are. A number of even leading ladies in a Bond film you don't even hear about. So I cannot just say it was me. Right. I would like to, but it's not. So I think it's the fans. Yeah. I really do. I really think it's the fans. And I, I'm truly, you know, thankful. You know, but at the same time, it hasn't brought me any money. <laughs> so I've had to go on and um, make my way, you know. I started my own legal firm, you know, um, you know, like 
I'm not going to starve. I, my, my grandfather told me, get up and do what you can. And right now, I'm pioneering. I produce my own CD. I'm executive producer of that. And also, I produce my own video. And I'm singing with an 18-piece orchestra. And I'm getting ready to do my tour. So I'm working on my tour. So, you know. I'm surprised you didn't call the book Renaissance Woman. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I was curious, though, because when you're making, you know, the Black Renaissance films, some of the actors who are popping up in your movies are like Julius Harris, Yafit Kodo. Yes. I was really interested if when you were shooting Live and Let Die, if you had any, you know, communication with them, any camaraderie talking about yes. the production. Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Joffrey Holder and I would go dancing, especially in New York or even in London. We would we would break into a, a, one of those wonderful, uh, you know, very well-known spots. And honey, with his tall self, he'd be, oh, we'd be cutting the rug. Uh, yeah, we were friends. And um, Yafa Koda as well. You know, um, I had spoken to Yafa Koda probably a year before, but he was living in the Philippines, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, doing quite well. You know, one dollar is worth fifty bucks. Right. You make a hundred thousand dollars, you're doing dang good. You make, you make um, you make a million dollars, ah, fifty times that. Yeah. So he knew what he was doing. I just laughed. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved, I loved Yafikoto. He was wonderful. He knew who he was. Absolutely knew who he was, and so did Joffrey Holder. You know, though there are two men that are artists that um, embrace their artistry and embrace, and they were not apologetic. And I, I really, and same with Fred Williamson, same with Jim Brown, and same with Jim Kelly. I mean, I've known, I've known or know some incredible people. Richard Pride, Richard Roundtree, and I modeled together back in the '60s quite a bit. As a matter of fact, here he is, right here in my book. Did you see that in my book? We did, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. We, we that was before he did Shaft and all of that. Yeah, yeah, and we still know each other today. There's a there's a couple of stories in the book that I, I won't dig into. I'll let people find that for themselves. But I I do want to make mention of another person that was joining the Bond franchise, as you now call it, and that is the lead, Roger Moore. You spent quite a lot of time with on the set. I have to imagine. How was he? How was he to to act across from? Roger was so funny. We wanted to break out or lick you into shape. Oh my God. I wanted, we both wanted to fall out laughing. He'd had that smirk on his face. And I was like, Gloria, you know, be cool, be cool. I wanted to break up. And there was a love scene that we had at the lake, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as I'm on top of him, I'm blowing, I purposely had garlic the night before. <laughs> and I'm just blowing it all in his face. He's looking at me. So that that whole scene was going on with that. <laughs> so I had a good time. And he, he said to me, you're lucky my wife is Italian. <laughs> 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 yeah. And from that day on, you know, when I when I met him and worked with him, he often gave me um, a pen when he signed his autograph. He also gave it to me, too. And that was my first introduction to signing my autograph. And uh, the limousine, every morning I went to work, we were together in the same limousine. I felt as though I starred in the movie. I mean, I, I had my own chair. Uh, they gave me a penthouse when I lived in, um, you know, in, in London 
when we were in Pinewood Studios. I mean, they treated me like, but they treated everybody. I have to say that institution, they might not have paid you that well, <laughs> but they certainly flew you first class and put you up at the best places and uh, took care of you very well. If you needed a car, they had a driver for you, take you around. It was <laughs> wonderful, I tell you. And I haven't been spoiled like that since. <laughs> <laughs> And I was interested to know, you know, doing the Black Renaissance films, you talk in your book about how you had to do a lot of stunts, a lot of the action, because it was just like, well, you're here, you've got to do it. When you're moving into a Bond film, they obviously have a much more complex production. What was it like moving from kind of the, the lower budget world to like something where they're really looking after everything? Well, first of all, the lower budget, which means the Black Renaissance. And we came in from the Betamax and uh, we busted the movie um, franchises. We busted Paramount. They began to make money. Uh, uh, Universal, Warner Brothers, MGM, it's 20th Century Fox. They began to make money, honey, from our movies yep. under our arms that we took to the theaters and et cetera. And um, uh, it, they were very happy to see us. But we did not have stunt people of color. It was no such thing. I believe Fred, um, it was Eddie Smith. I think it was Ed Smith. And I think another person who started um, a people of color and women, and I didn't have a woman. So it was the guys first, but then the women came in later. And how many jobs did they get? Very few, because very few women are athletic. I, I just have to say. And that's how come I got Black Belt Jones, because, um, uh, yes, they auditioned us. But when they auditioned us, they said, put your leg up. I held my leg up. They said, oh, girl, this girl is something else. And they had me do certain things. Nobody there could do what I did because I'm, I'm an athlete. And I have mm -hmm. muscles, you know, which did not serve me well as a young woman, because the boys would say, I don't want you. You a guy. You know, they call me a guy because I was busting. I said, I don't want a woman like you. I said, I don't want a boy like you, puny. <laughs> <laughs> and I hung out with the boys as a young girl. And I watched those girls on the sideline. Ain't he cute? I said, if you, are, if you knew what he said about you. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, no, I was a, what you call a guy girl. Right. You know, don't make no mistake about it. I do like my men. <laughs> but um, I don't play around with them like that. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, when you're doing Live and Let Die, you know, I would assume you'd use, you know, firearms in your previous films. But, like, were they giving you, like, firearms training on a Bond set and things like that? First of all, Bond did not let me do any action. Hmm. So yeah. if I did that somersault on the bed, that was not me. And if you really look closely, it was a white guy in black makeup with my white dress on. And that was, what, the six, the seventy. Uh, 373. And that was the way it was because at Pinewood Studios, were they around and when we were doing the scene? No, I don't know if they even thought about it. And probably, well, they'd had to because they put a dress like mine on him. So that yeah. scene was um, a guy. But um, when I hit the dirt, as far as when the scarecrow shot me, that was me. And running, that was me. With no shoes on, running. And did they ever give you the option to do the jump onto the bed or was it just assumed that it was going to be the stuntman doing it the whole time? No option. No option. 
They just, when the guy is pulled in, he does a somersault. No option at all. They took care of me, but the other films, that was me. Right. And I was um, going through Roger Moore's Live and Let Die diaries, and he talks about your death scene and that there was a lot of ants and that it was very unpleasant. I would just like to know your point of view on filming that moment. Well, yeah, the ants were all over me. <laughs> By the time I hit the, hit the ground the, and the ants were all over me, I'm saying, with my eyes open, I'm saying, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not only that, they did not want to kill me. Yeah. They didn't want to kill me. They took me into the office. Well, that is, they said, Madam, we're discussing how not to kill you. So you just wait around a, while, a little while, okay? So I, I'm not sure, maybe a day or two went by and they came back and they said, We can't, we have to kill you because this, you're no longer in the film and there's just so many things happening. We would have to change the script and we, we really apologize. So they flew me um, ahead of them and come to find out that Great Britain or UK, does not take in Americans or anybody else other than their own to work on the movie. They And so they put me down like I was um, a Jamaican. She comes home. So by the time I got to Jamaica, uh, Gloria comes home. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, um, I'm already a, mem um, a citizen of Jamaica. So I'm a citizen of the UK. That's how I got through. <laughs> well, there you go. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course, constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Commentary time, and you know what? Jack Flack, he's back, because we are going to be talking through 1984's Cloak and Dagger. What goes together better than spies and 80s video games? And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Um, I suppose that we're just moving out of Live and Let Die and, and looking at some more of your career afterwards, but are you surprised by the film's legacy? And by your, like, you still get asked about Live and Let Die. I imagine we're doing it right now. Are you surprised by that? Absolutely. I am. And I guess I'm so blessed. Um, whatever my art has uh, uh, emanated and uh, people have embraced me, um, my character, uh, Rosie Carver. Uh, and when I read the script, I thought it was a lousy, lousy part. <laughs> I thought, how <laughs> in the world am I going to breathe life into this character? And um, I tried, but um, the dialogue... <laughs> It was hard. <laughs> it was hard because, oh, oh, Bon, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't, I, 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 please don't stay with me. I was like, what? That's not logical. <laughs> <laughs> How am I going to say this? You know, stay with me for the night. I mean, come on, give me a break. What does that say? 
Anyway, I'm laughing. And I did. I laughed about it. And I said, how am I going to do this? But my manager told me, he said, Gloria, do this film because it was, it's, the big, it's a big film. I was like, okay, so what? And again, you know, my attitude is because we don't get breaks like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very, and, and for me to walk around and say, I got this movie. No, I did not. I did not. It wasn't done because I've been on the set of a movie and managers have come in and said, if you don't give this movie, we, we have two people we want on. You already have our artist. These others are to take this role. So you have to get rid of her. That has happened to me. So I didn't know what to expect when I got on the set. I don't know if a manager is going to call up and, and pull somebody off the set and say, if you don't take my people, I'm going to take that lead. Who knows? You know, I've been disappointed so much. So I, I move on the deck of, let's see what happens. I'll just do the best I can. But I'm not going to be drugging myself and beating myself up because you don't, you don't like my hue or you don't like me. It's none of my business if you don't like me. What am I going to do, cut my throat? You know, in other words, you, some of the people like you and most of the people don't. I don't run around trying to be liked, but I'm trying to be pleasant to everybody because everybody has their right to have their own opinion. I said, I said opinion. I didn't say the right to hit me or to block me. I said opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I can speak on behalf of uh, James Bond fans everywhere, at least, and say that we all love you. So oh, there's that, you. at least. There's yes, that. it is. And I'm, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm so humbled by it. I really am. And I just go, wow, it's incredible. So thank you so much. Truly, truly, truly. And I was actually just listening to an interview with Trina Parks, who, of course, was in Diamonds Are Forever and played Thumper, yes. just talking about her relationship with you and how much you've meant to her. Oh. And I would just like to know, like, how did you two connect? How did that sort of form, that relationship? We, were, we knew each other before Bond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she should have talked. Did she tell you that? No, no. It was actually listening to another interview she did. I, I didn't take part in that one. Right. No, um, I knew her before when we were modeling. Um, uh, and she was dancing, of course, and she was on Broadway. I mean, Trina is awesome. What, how tall is she? I mean, wow. You know, she, she's, she's awesome. And uh, I met her then, and her boyfriend um, was a friend of mine that I, I would model with periodically. I don't know exactly how we met, but um, we knew the same people. And uh, we were signed to the same agency because, you know, during that time, um, our hue, we can only be signed to a, a, a black uh, agent. Yeah. So we all were there. All of us, you know, all of us were there. Beverly Valdez, um, golly, Helen Williams, uh, uh, oh, no, Judy was out here. <clears throat> a number of us were there. So uh, leaving James Bond behind and just looking at your career afterwards uh, in Firstly, in films and then TV. Did anyone ever come up to you, casting directors, directors, and go like, "Oh, it's it's Rosie Carver from Live and Let Die." Like that's that's you. Yeah, they do that now. Wow. So it took a while. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It does not get me the movie, or it doesn't get me the part. But um, they do it now. Oh, Gloria Henry, I didn't think you'd come in. 
and, I, and they ask me for my autograph and etc. And I walk out of there doing my best and I don't get cast. That's most of the time. I don't know what that's about because in the past I would get calls and they asked me. So, I mean, just looking at your films afterwards, a couple I'll chuck out there, Black Belt Jones, Hell Up in Harlem. There's a lot of films there, especially in sort of the mid-70s and early 80s there. But any particular ones? Because one thing I like to ask people who come on the show is, is there a piece of work that you worked on that you're particularly proud of that you don't think got the love it should have got? Hell Up in Harlem, my scene when they took my child. I think that was one beautiful scene that I did. Hell up in Harlem when they took my child. Also, there's a scene in uh, Black Caesar, was it Black Caesar, when um, unfortunately he raped his wife, and that was me, her character, Helen. And that was a very, very powerful scene. How many, that, that showed to me, that showed that the husband has the right to take his wife anywhere, anytime he wanted. And I really wanted that to be seen. And I really worked hard for that scene to be very powerful that women are being abused by their husbands, which is not being pointed out today like that by their husband. They might be talking about some stranger or friend or something like that, but not their husbands. And their husbands have, yes. Mm -hmm. And that was a very powerful scene there in Black Caesar. Uh, those two scenes, and it's hard to look at too. It really is. Mm -hmm. It really, it hits a nerve. And people, I'm sure, often turn their head, and that's why they don't want to talk about it. Um, also, um, well, you're trying to say, well, other than Bond. Uh, yeah, any other movie that I think? I think Bare Knuckles. There was a scene in Bare Knuckles on the stair uh, with, the, with the guy who killed that young lady. And it was a real true, it was a true story about this girl being stabbed um, right, and everybody's looking at her in Harlem. I think it was Harlem. I forgot where, but uh, he killed her in front of everybody witnessing seeing it. it. And uh, he he has me on the staircase because I think I'm a detective or something like that. Or mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, I like that scene. How I looked at him, you know, uh, with that man. And I think I did the same thing with um, um, Tony King when uh, he tried to. He had to kill me. He was assigned to kill me in Hell Up in Harlem, I think that scene, I said, go ahead, you know, and he did. And they took my child too. So I think those scenes, yes, they were very powerful scenes. It's interesting, the, the moments you point out are like very raw, vulnerable scenes. Was there like a frustration at that time or in the years that followed that you didn't get to play more material like that? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah because it wasn't around. It wasn't around, you know, um, but I did have the opportunity to um, audition for River Niger. And that was one of the films that was snatched from me. And I won it. I did. I did everything in my power to have the African accent and everything. And I got it hands down. But during the process of, um, of rehearsals and getting ready to shoot, the managers came in and said, you get rid of her and you take this. So I was upset that I wasn't able to get the quality films of the studios uh, uh, that I wanted outside of, um, it was nothing wrong with, uh, well, what we did with Black Caesar and Hell Up in Harlem for the time and was done in what, two weeks? 
And the money, I mean, it wasn't the money, that's for sure, because we didn't get paid that much. But for the work that we did in it, we slept on the floor. I mean, it was almost non-union, you know, but I think it became union for whatever the, however they got it to be. So yeah, I wanted more quality films. I really did. And I thought I was ready. And I thought that um, the industry, you know, was ready. And if I had the money, believe me, over the years, I've been broke. But I knew how to manage. But I've been very broke. I've, you know, almost lost all my stuff. But I managed, because of my law background, I was able to get through a lot of things because of information. And things were at my fingertips. And I did go through a period of time where I was a drugging and alcohol. I got depressed. And one day it hit me. How dare you allow people to push you there? Why do you want to, why do you want to hurt yourself? Because I think it's because you can't, it's, uh, you can't hit or really talk to somebody to make any sense. You can't solve the issue. You know what? There's nothing to solve. You just have to go on. You have to figure out how best to be happy. So I started producing my own stuff. I started, I started Women in, um, women in Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. I wrote a couple of plays and my husband and I, he did the music to Glamour Girls, which I want to get out. It's about the club. And I've produced that a number of times. Um, it's a musical. And I'm not performing in these, these uh, um, plays, uh, except for Lady Day. I wrote Lady Day based upon, you know, Billie Holiday's life. And um, I also did uh, Inside Out. And it's not publicized, you know. Because I'm, um, the, 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 the media is not coming in my direction, but it doesn't matter. Um, even if when I did produce um, uh, to Catalina, my 18-piece orchestra with Jimmy McConnell and his big band, and I did my CD and et cetera, it's all right. You can still carve your way through and do what you love to do. You're not looking for notoriety. That's a result. That's for the people to do. And I, I can't, I mean, it's like, that's the result. And it's really nice when people, you know, endorse you. It's great at the same time, but I'm also doing what I love. Mm-hmm. And in the book, you print a letter you wrote to Halle Berry. Yes. Um, in the 2000s. That's very personal and very open. I was just really curious, A, what prompted you to write that letter, but also B, did you get a response to it? I don't know if the paper got a, it was a newspaper. And I think that the newspaper got the responses and they didn't notify me. I didn't follow through with that. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, she would have to find me from the paper, the newspaper. I wrote that because I was so angry. This girl did such a great job. And these people are talking about nudity. That's what happened to me too in um, Black Caesar. Uh, that definitely did, which also stopped my commercials because I did nudity back then, which was a no-no. And doing nudity, yeah. And when by this time, here we are up in this day and age, and people saying, well, that was just too much. Are you kidding me? Look at what they're doing today. And they slapped her so hard. And I said to myself, don't even go there, Hallie. Don't even go there. That's their opinion. But you know, this does happen. So, you know, you're an artist and you're doing your work. And I guess the same thing with Marlon Brandon when he did, what was that movie? It was all about sex. That movie. Last Tango in Paris. Oh, yeah. That, that was. And you haven't heard of that lady. But you heard of Marlon after that. What's the bias? How dare you? That's another thing that bothered me the most. 
They don't bother the man. They come after the woman. I mean, what's up, what's up with that? Yeah, look also at Sharon Stone versus Michael Douglas for Basic Instinct. Exactly my point. So, yeah. you know, these, these ladies or these organizations, they got to really wise up. Girlfriend, there's a double standard here. You know, I even noticed it in clothes. I'm married, you know. Um, I even noticed my, I bought my husband a house coat and my house coat, same brand. Guess whose house coat is much better, better made? His <laughs> and warmer. I'm like, dang, man. And I certainly pointed out to him, too. He goes, yeah, they do that. Yeah. Men's shoes are better made. Women wind up having their shoes get busted down the year. My husband had shoes like 25 years old. But then you have to buy the top of the line shoes. But for a man, oh, you don't have to buy the top of the line shoes. What's up with that? You um, you mentioned about sort of taking the power yourself and you talk about producing your own work, producing your own music. And I wanted to talk to you about music very briefly, just a musician, partly myself. And it's always interesting to talk music with people. So for you, what's um why is it music important to you i love to sing i was singing before i became an actress in the 60s mm -hmm. um i was singing around you know um but i found the treatment that i was getting from the club owners how they treated us i said oh no 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 that turned me off a lot i i couldn't i couldn't endure that i couldn't endure um, the arrogance of the club owner and they felt like they were better than you and you were nothing, you know, and what they, and I remember working up in the Pinewood, uh, upstate New York in a restaurant and they put me in this hotel, they put me in this, I don't know, like a dorm and it was like a closet with a bed and, uh, um, and, a, and a wire next to the window it was dead of winter, it was cold as hell and was awful. Like a, I had a gorgeous apartment in New York and uh, and also um, the bathroom, rusty, dirty, and everybody went to the same bathroom. I said, you know what? I'm not going to be treated like this. This is no way. That turned me off from singing. And I just imagine what Ella Fitzgerald, well, not Ella, but what Sarah Vaughn went through, Ruth Brown went through, because Sarah comes from Newark. My mother hung out with Sarah. My mother wanted to become a singer. She, she went out there for a minute. She, she went back to her factory job. She said, no way. It ain't treat me like that. <laughs> you know, and the ladies who have endured, it's been rough, really tough. And I also, I guess, for the guys too, you know, I'm sure. But um, that's what turned me off from, uh, uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't like being abused. It, it sets me into a state of really being mean. I don't like that. And I, I, you know, I don't like that. I don't like that. It makes me, makes me, it takes me out of my character. What uh, that takes me being, you know, on a certain level, I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Am I making sense? No, that makes no, sense. No, no, you're making sense. And, uh, but you're still, you're still creating. You're still creating now. You've gone back to it. What made you want to go back to it? I've never left it. I've been singing around periodically. I've never left it. Uh, but on the, on the enormity that I'm going to now, yeah, I'm taking it to another level. What made me go back? I'm mature now. Um, I don't need to work nine to five. 
I can produce my own stuff. I got the funds to do it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm I'm not trying to be arrogant, but no. I, but um, I'm just saying I'm more into I'm financially okay. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so therefore yeah. I can branch out and do my thing, and I don't need. In other words, I can carve out my little corner that won't affect the big industry. <laughs> I, you know, I don't need them. I could just throw my name out there now in certain places and go where they want me, you know, yeah. and thanks to the fans, you know, that has allowed me that space. And thank you to Bond Franchise for hiring me. Also, thank you to all the movies that I made from all those wonderful writers and studios that I made from, from yesteryear. So I have a reputation. So, I, you know, I didn't do this on my own. I'm just one, I'm a part of the crew. You're you're very humble, but you did work for this. You yes, put you ran into all these challenges and you ran through them. So don't make sure to take a bit of credit for yourself too cuz you earned it. Yes, I do, and everybody else was there too. They were getting their knocks. That's all I'm saying. You know, we all had our Absolutely. different knocks, you know. Mm. Like you're doing yours, you know. So you struggled, where are you now? Look what's what you've been working on. You know, yeah. I, it, it, none of us get to anything by ourselves. We don't make the food. We don't make the house. We don't make the water. We don't do the electricity. So we all are working together. Well, you're, uh, I mean, we're starting to wrap up now. I have a couple of questions I want to sort of leave us with. Yeah. The first question is, obviously, we're here talking about the book. Yes. And yes. I think to sort of sign us off, um, we'll put a link in the show notes below so people can go find out where to get the book. People can go directly to it and grab a copy. We recommend it. We both read it. We both really enjoyed reading it. What can people expect from the book? That's a, not a simple answer. The reason why I'm saying it's not a simple answer. What they can get from the book is that the, what I have gone, what my past is. I just brought them up to date with where I've been and how I've traveled and how they digest it. And everybody on, on different, we all have a, our path. You can go the same direction and see the same thing, just like into your own living room. You can sit on one side of the, you always sit in that same chair. Change that chair. You'll see everything from a different perspective. I'm just showing the perspective that I have traveled and it's just the share. And also, don't let anyone tell you that you can't. Whatever, what you think, what you think, you look for. What you think, you are. If you think you're nothing, that's exactly right. If you think you can't do it and you keep that word can't in your vocabulary, you cannot do it. And yes, we have those days where we get depressed. Yes, of course, that's natural because you're digesting and also it's overwhelming. It's like school. You get a headache when you're having knowledge. And not only that, it might be too much for you at the moment. So lie down, take a rest if you can. But know you're going through those changes. And you'll come out on the other side as long as you're willing to go through the pain. Because even the pain when you work it out, you know, it's a pain. When, you, when, when you're birthed between you and your mom, that's the biggest pain you will ever have. Hmm. <laughs> it's massive because you're going between life and death. So that's how I look at things. Because there are moments I just, I say, I'm overwhelmed. And I said, girl, just cool it. And everything is an emergency. Cool it. 
take time for yourself because it's overwhelming. There's so much to do, uh, so mm-hmm. little time to do it. And uh, enjoy yourself. Enjoy your pain is what I'm trying to say. Enjoy your pain. I mean, wise words, and people can dig more into that in the book. Now, there's one question I'll leave us with. Now, this question has been asked to every single person that's been on the show, Gloria, over the years. Uh, Bond alumni extraordinaires all the way through so gloria hendry the question goes to you what is your favorite spy movie of all time oh my god oh my goodness what is my favorite spy movie of all times i know i love the last one. Oh my goodness no time to die I love No Time to Die. I also love Casino Royale, the remake with Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. I thought that was brilliant. That's the first one. That was brilliant. Um, Roger Moore's. I love Roger Moore. Um, it could be outside of Bond. It doesn't have to be a Bond film. It can be anything else. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> any, sp- any spy film. It's a hard question. It stumps a lot of people. Well, because I never think about the spy film. I'm a I'm a film nut. I, I like comedy. I like love stories. I like um, spy thrillers. No horror. Hate horror. Even though I did a horror, I didn't know I did a horror. I, I don't like horror because I don't like feeling like a victim. Um. Yeah. Wow. There's so much. You know, back in the day, I love Gone with the Wind. I love these classical movies. Um. I love Gone with the Wind. Oh my God. I loved um Charlton Heston's. I love that Charlton Heston's uh, movie. What was the name of that? Ben Hur. Ben Hur. I love Ben Hur. It just it knocked me off my feet. I love the, the Roots, um, uh, the film The Roots. You know, with uh, yes, I love that. Oh, today Avatar. Oh my God, Black <laughs> Panther. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Lion King play. Oh my God. It's it, this 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 um period of us going through with us being now shown in our creativity is brilliant it's just the the passion the that that other art artistry it's like watching italian movies i can i love edward g warrenson's movie when he was coming through oh my god humphrey bogart oh my goodness Catherine hepburn um liz taylor joan crawford i love me some joan crawford um uh yeah I love Joan Crawford. I mean, I have so many movies that I loved. Cleopatra, I love that. Um, Yeah. I think it's really interesting you mentioned Black Panther because before the untimely passing of Chadwick Boseman, Marvel referred to that character as their James Bond. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. The, the, The second one. Yes, yes, they did. Love them. I'm just so thrilled. I'm very happy to be alive today to see women walking around with muscles and they're saying to me Gloria how did you do those muscles I am so happy because when I was coming through they I was a Mm no-no you know Um, I'm so happy to see that I'm happy to see that people can be people and 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 not uh with well when we turned um puberty we had to have a girdle bra and stockings on and you couldn't go to the bank without, if you couldn't go to the bank if you had pants on. You couldn't go to the church if you had pants on. You had to be dressed to the nines. Las Vegas, 
You couldn't go to Las Vegas unless you were dressed to the nines and gowns to the session. Look at everybody today. So people are freer in one sense, and I like a little bit more sophistication on the other. I like to see people dress when they go out rather than in the sneakers. And you're not going out. And there's some people, they, some people have never really gone out. Mm -hmm. Now, to test it, to taste that and to wear a gown and to wear a tuxedo, that is a whole other feeling that takes you to another level. And that also pushes your life in another challenging level. And to have experienced that, go to an opera. You know, uh, I mean, and I do all of that, you know, so I try to stay and also test other cultures. In other words, have friends in other cultures. And if you have to do it on purpose, do it, because when you get to know that person, that's another person that gives something to your life and you give something to theirs. And I've got friends from all over. So did my husband. He has friends from all over. And I, you know, I dated a three time world champion skier. Yeah. Egon Zimmerman, who taught me how to ski. And I learned to ski from him. And I think the third day, the, uh, maybe the third week I went out, he took me up glacier skiing with a helicopter. <laughs> that, that, that's a hell of a third date right there. I'm telling you. And not only that, we was, I was skiing with Olympic skiers, and which means that I was in shape. Coming down the mountain, taking us two, three hours to come down. I was in shape. I, I can attest to your point about uh, getting dressed properly because Cam actually watched me get married a few months ago in a full tuxedo. And boy, did I, in, in Las Vegas of all places, boy, did I feel like a million dollars. That's what I'm saying. Um, That's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, Gloria, it's just joyous and wonderful to speak to you it's so lovely to see your passions that you're working on now you're so happy and i think people can see that through the book by the end of it and i think people should pick up a copy of it um but Gloria, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you thank you very much thank you vice versa and thank you for for wanting to listen to me it's nice <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure absolutely our honor to have you so thank you yes and the best life ever absolutely happy new year happy new year well there you go folks that was gloria hendry and boy that was a glorious chat i want to thank gloria of course for taking the time to speak to us and of course thank her agent anders for helping set this all up i think it's really interesting you said it was glorious because that was actually roger moore's nickname for her when they were shooting live and let die glorious gloria oh i didn't even know that so that's actually tied together very well but cam let's talk about this interview a lot to decode, a lot to unpack. Um, the book was a delight to read, so I do suggest you'll go and grab a copy of that. There'll be links in the show notes below, as I said earlier. But Cam, what was the highlight for you? What I really appreciated about this interview was just her energy and candor in telling these sometimes very personal stories. And you and I both read her book. So we had a good sense of the stories she was telling within that book. And yet, like, there was so much material here and so much to expand upon. Like, she found a lot of ways to dig into even more of Live and Let Die than is featured in the book and to find different angles to look at things. I did feel like I was kind of getting an author quoting back their book. It was someone who was very much in the moment telling stories that mattered to them. Well, it's a tough thing as well when you're trying to promote anything, particularly. You don't want to give anything away. Mm -hmm. You want to say, hey, come, come and check out the book. Um, but she was able to sort of expand without giving things away and with some really delightful stories of not just Live and Let Die, but her work around before and after. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, sometimes with our interviews, 
they are a little bit broken up by, okay, you did this, then you did this. And I thought she was very good at kind of blending the work she did on Live and Let Die with the various Black Renaissance films. And she was very specific about which films they were at which times. And it felt like we got to cover really like a lot of her filmography in a very focused way. I mean, clearly she's a storyteller. And that came through in how she was telling her own story. I I mean, for me, something that really jumped off the page is just her energy. Mm, Yeah. I think she has a great energy, a great sort of essence to her. She definitely just takes all life's challenges on, just runs into them. And you can see it through her story throughout her life. All these opportunities came her way and she said yes. She said yes to a lot of things. I mean, a lot of people would sort of be daunted by James Bond. She said she wasn't, she was aware of Bond before getting the call, but not really like in the trenches, like perhaps we would have been at the time had we both been alive. Of course, you'd been alive for a millennia at that point. It's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it it's interesting that she was just like, yes, let's do it. And she rocked up and she was treated well and had a great time on set and has left it with plenty and plenty of stories, but then moved on to lots of other things as well. Yeah, and a lot of passions in life. And that was one thing when I was reading the book, going over the various, you know, careers and different opportunities she's had, I would sit there and go like, how does one person go in so many different directions and manage to achieve all of these victories in all these different fields? And then you talk to Gloria and you're like, oh, I get it. Like it is someone who just has that passion, that motivation, and also the ability to look in many directions at once versus, as I was saying, like people that are more tunnel visioned, that's like me. I tend to be very focused on what's in front of me. I don't tend to have that ability to kind of cast the wider gaze across everything in front of me. And she clearly has that superpower. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that um, jumped out to me was, I think this is one of the first times we've ever spoken to anyone that has worked with Roger Moore. Uh, yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, we've had people that have worked with Sean, people that have worked with Pierce, worked with Craig. I don't think we've had Dalton yet on the show. Miriam Dabo. Oh. I think she I think she worked with him. <laughs> I think she did, yeah. That's I'm happy to be wrong there, folks. Sorry about that. But so I suppose we've completed the uh the we haven't had uh, David actually we have had David and Peter that Peter Sellers. We had Jacqueline Bissett. We've completed the set. We've had someone that's worked with every single bond. And the reason I bring that up is because we spoke a little bit about sort of the camaraderie on set with Roger. And it's something you hear about Roger more and you read him and you read stories about him that he was always having fun making the Bond films. And this is evidently clear from the little garlic story we got. Yeah, and if you read his, you know, Live and Let Die diaries, there's a lot of stories about just having fun with all of the actors, but he does mention Gloria several times. And in her book, she talks about how, you know, the two of them would go swimming every day, uh, things like that. There's a real sense that like Roger Moore, this is his first Bond movie. Yep. There's a lot of pressure on him. And I'm sure there's been other actors who their first Bond movie were a little more like eye on the prize. I got to focus on pulling this off. It's very clear that Roger just at his core is someone who's very open to other people and despite the fact all this pressure was on him, was making this also like a good experience for his co-stars. And, you know, we spoke about a glorious love of fitness and staying in shape. And I'm glad that Roger Moore had someone to do his uh, knee bend workout with. <laughs> Very true. Very true. 
that's a that's a deep cut there folks if you know that one yeah i, I tip my hat towards you um but yeah I, I think just overall it was a really wonderful chat and i'm so glad we've had the chance to speak to her and one thing that's really interesting too is the way she has been quite supportive of other black actresses who have gone into the bond franchise because i referenced in the interview the letter she wrote to halle berry um around the time of die another day um and monsters ball also um, but also she cited No Time to Die as like one of her favorite spy movies, which of course featured Lashana Lynch and also just her friendship that she was referring to that had gone back before Bond, but with um, Trina Parks who played Thumper. It's just really awesome that she continues to be invested in not just James Bond franchise, but also in a lot of the black actresses that are working in that franchise. Absolutely. And I, and I think just sort of to cap us off, I, I, I just want to say that I remain we remain humble that we have these opportunities and we're so thankful for Anders for reaching out and making this happen for Gloria for spending the time to talk to us and for each and every one of you for taking the time to listen we hope you've enjoyed it and we hope you stick around for more so Cam the question as always goes to you what have we got coming up next week well next week we're talking about a secret agent but it's not James Bond we're returning to the world of Matt Helm and tackling the second Helm adventure, Murderer's Row. Yes, we can't wait to hop back in the Matmobile, take a drink from the bar, and let's cruise along to some Dean Martin tracks as we uh, shag our way through 1966. (laughs) So there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us next week as we tackle 1966's Murderer's Row. If you enjoyed what you heard on this podcast, please make sure you've hit subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you'd like, please leave us a five-star review as well. It helps us spread the word about Spy Hearts Podcast. And uh, if you don't already, please follow us discreetly, of course, on social media at Spy Hards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, I'm sure we'll be able to lick you into shape. (laughs) 